0: section seven of anecdotes of dogs nor will it less delight the attentive sage to observe that instinct which unerring guides the brutal race which mimics reason's lore and oft transcends the dog whom nothing can mislead must be a dog of parts indeed is often wiser than his master somerville this noble dog may be justly styled the friend and guardian of his master. I had some doubts in making out my list of dogs whether he ought not to take precedence of all others, but after duly weighing the matter in my own mind, I have given the palm to the Irish wolfhound, and the honest Newfoundland immediately follows him. I not only think that this precedence will gratify some of my friends in Ireland, who have called upon me to do justice to one of their favorite and national emblems, but it is perhaps due in strict justice to an animal who proved himself so great a benefactor to his native country. There is, moreover, such a degree of romance attached to the recollection of his fine qualities and imposing appearance, that I should be sorry to lessen them by appearing to give the preference to any other dog. At the same time, I may be allowed to add, that i have seen such courage perseverance and fidelity in the newfoundland dog and am acquainted with so many well-authenticated facts of his more than ordinary sense and utility that i think him entitled to be considered as little inferior to the irish wolf-dog when we reflect on the docility of the newfoundland dog his affectionate disposition his aptitude in receiving instruction and his instantaneous sense of impending danger, we shall no longer wonder at his being called the friend of his master, whom he is at all times ready to defend at the risk of his own life. How noble is his appearance, and at the same time, how serene is his countenance, sa fierte, sa beauté, sa jeunesse agréable, le fichéri de vous et il est redoutable à vos fier ennemi par sa courage no animal perhaps can show more real courage than this dog his perseverance in what he undertakes is so great that he never relinquishes an attempt which has been enjoined him as long as there is a chance of success i allude more particularly to storms at sea and consequent shipwreck when his services HIS COURAGE AND INDEFATIGABLE EXERTIONS HAVE BEEN TRULY WONDERFUL. NUMEROUS PERSONS HAVE BEEN SAVED FROM A WATERY GRAVE BY THESE DOGS, AND ROPES HAVE BEEN CONVEYED BY THEM FROM A SINKING SHIP TO THE SHORE AMIDST FOAMING BILLOWS, BY WHICH MEANS WHOLE CREWS HAVE BEEN SAVED FROM DESTRUCTION. THEIR FEET ARE PARTICULARLY WELL ADAPTED TO ENABLE THEM TO SWIM, BEING WEBBED VERY MUCH LIKE THOSE OF A DUCK and they are at all times ready to plunge into the water to save a human being from drowning. Some dogs delight in following a fox, others in hunting the hare or killing vermin. The delight of the Newfoundland dog appears to be in the preservation of the lives of the human race. A story is related on good authority of one of these dogs being in the habit when he saw persons swimming in the Seine at Paris. Of seizing them and bringing them to the shore. In the immediate neighbourhood of Windsor, a servant was saved from drowning by a Newfoundland dog who seized him by the collar of his coat when he was almost exhausted and brought him to the banks, where some of the family were assembled watching with great anxiety the exertions of the noble animal. Those who were much at Windsor not many years since must have seen a fine Newfoundland dog called Baby reposing occasionally in front of the White Hart Hotel. Baby was a general favorite, and he deserved to be so, for he was mild in his disposition, brave as a lion, and very sensible. When he was thirsty, and could not procure water at the pump in the yard, he has frequently been seen to go to the stable, fetch an empty bucket, and stand with it in his mouth at the pump till someone came for water. He then, by wagging his tail and expressive looks, made his want known and had his bucket filled. Exposed as Baby was to the attacks of all sorts of curs, as he slumbered in the sun in front of the hotel, he seemed to think that a pat with his powerful paw was quite sufficient punishment for them. But he never tamely submitted to insult from a dog approaching his own size, and his courage was only equalled by his gentleness. The following anecdote, which is well authenticated, shows the sagacity as well as the kindliness of disposition of these dogs. In the city of Worcester, one of the principal streets leads by a gentle declivity to the river Severn. One day a child, in crossing the street, fell down in the middle of it, and a horse and cart which were descending the hill would have passed over it had not a Newfoundland dog rushed to the rescue of the child, caught it up in his mouth and conveyed it in safety to the foot pavement my kind friend mr t took a newfoundland dog and a small spaniel into a boat with him on the river thames and when he got into the middle of the river he turned them into the water they swam different ways but the spaniel got into the current and after struggling some time was in danger of being drowned as soon as the Newfoundland dog perceived the predicament of his companion, he swam to his assistance and brought him safe to the shore. A vessel went down in a gale of wind near Liverpool, and every one on board perishes. A Newfoundland dog was seen swimming about the place where the vessel was lost for some time, and at last came on shore very much exhausted. For three days he swam off to the same spot, and was evidently trying to find his lost master, so strong was his affection. I have always been pleased with that charming remark of Sir Edwin Landseer, that the Newfoundland dog was a distinguished member of the Humane Society. How delightfully has that distinguished artist portrayed the character of dogs in his pictures, and what justice has he done to their noble qualities! we see in them honesty fidelity courage and sense no exaggeration no flattery he makes us feel that his dogs will love us without selfishness and defend us at the risk of their own lives that though friends may forsake us they never will and that in misfortune poverty and death their affection will be unchanged and their gratitude unceasing but to return to the newfoundland dog and we shall again find him acting his part as a member of the humane society a gentleman bathing in the sea at portsmouth was in the greatest danger of being drowned assistance was loudly called for but no boat was ready and though many persons were looking on no one could be found to go to his help in this predicament a newfoundland dog rushed into the sea and conveyed the gentleman in safety to land. He afterwards purchased the dog for a large sum, treated him as long as he lived with gratitude and kindness, and had the following words worked on his tablecloths and napkins. Virum extuli mari. A person in crossing a plank at a mill fell into the stream at night, and was saved by his Newfoundland dog, and who afterwards recovered his hat, which had fallen from his head and was floating down the stream. There can be no doubt but that dogs calculate and almost reason. A dog who had been in the habit of stealing from a kitchen, which had two doors opening into it, would never do so if one of them was shut, as he was afraid of being caught. If both the doors were open, his chance of escape was greater, and he therefore seized what he could— this sort of calculation if i may call it so was shown by a newfoundland bitch she had suckled two whelps until they were able to take care of themselves they were however constantly following and disturbing her in order to be suckled when she had little or no milk to give them she was confined in a shed which was separated from another by a wooden partition some feet high into this shed she conveyed her puppies and left them there while she returned to the other to enjoy a night's rest unmolested. This shows that the animal was capable of reflecting to a degree beyond what would have been the result of mere instinct. The late Reverend James Simpson of the Potterow Congregation, Edinburgh, had a large dog of the Newfoundland breed. At that time he lived at Liberton, a distance of two miles from Edinburgh, In a house to which was attached a garden. One sacrament Sunday the servant, who was left at home in charge of the house, thought it a good opportunity to entertain her friends, as her master and mistress were not likely to return home till after the evening service, about nine o'clock. During the day the dog accompanied them through the garden, and indeed wherever they went, in the most attentive manner, and seemed well pleased. In the evening when the time arrived that the party meant to separate they proceeded to do so but the dog the instant they went to the door interposed and placing himself before it would not allow one of them to touch the handle on their persisting and attempting to use force he became furious and in a menacing manner drove them back into the kitchen where he kept them until the arrival of mr and mrs simpson who were surprised to find a party at so late an hour, and more so to see the dog standing sentinel over them. Being thus detected, the servant acknowledged the whole circumstance when her friends were allowed to depart, after being admonished by the worthy divine in regard to the proper use of the Sabbath. They could not but consider the dog as an instrument in the hand of Providence. To point out the impropriety of spending this holy day in feasting rather than in the duties of religion after the above circumstance it became necessary for mr simpson on account of his children's education to leave his country residence when he took a house in edinburgh in a common stair. speaking of this one day to a friend who had visited him he concluded that he would be obliged to part with his dog as he was too large an animal to be kept in such a house. The animal was present, and heard him say so, and must have understood what he meant, as he disappeared that evening and was never afterwards heard of. These circumstances have been related to me by an elder of Mr. Simpson's congregation, who had them from himself. I am indebted to the late amiable Lord Stowell for the following anecdote which has since been verified by mr henry wicks brother of the archdeacon a newfoundland dog belonging to archdeacon wicks which had never quitted the island was brought over to london by him in january eighteen thirty four and when he and his family landed at blackwall the dog was left on board the vessel a few days afterwards the archdeacon went from the borough side of the thames in a boat to the vessel which was then in St. Catherine's docks, to see about his luggage, but did not intend at that time to take the dog from the ship. However, on his leaving the vessel, the dog succeeded in extricating himself from his confinement, jumped overboard, and swam after the boat across the Thames, followed his master into the counting-house on Gunshot Wharf, Tooley Street, and then over London Bridge and through the city to St. Bartholomew's Hospital. The dog was shut within the square whilst the archdeacon went into his father's house, and he then followed him on his way to Russell Square, but strayed somewhere in Holborn, and as several gentlemen had stopped to admire him in the street, saying he was worth a great deal of money, the archdeacon concluded that some dog-stealer had enticed him away. He, however, wrote to the captain of the vessel to mention his loss, and made inquiries on the following morning at St. Bartholomew's Hospital, when he learnt that the dog had come to the gates late in the evening, and howled most piteously for admission, but was driven away. Two days afterwards the captain of the vessel waited on the archdeacon with the dog, who had not only found his way back to the water's edge, on the borough side, but what is more surprising, swam across the Thames, where no scent could have directed him and found out the vessel in St. Catherine's docks. This sagacious and affectionate creature had previous to his leaving Newfoundland saved his master's life by directing his way home when lost in a snowstorm many miles from any shelter. The dog was presented to the archdeacon's uncle, Thomas Poinder, Esquire, Clapham Common, in whose possession it continued until its death. every particular has been faithfully given of this extraordinary occurrence here we see a dog brought for the first time from newfoundland and who can scarcely be said to have put his feet on ground in england not only finding his way through a crowded city to the banks of the river but also finding the ship he wanted in that river and in which he evidently thought he should discover his lost master it is an instance of sense of so peculiar a kind That it is difficult to define it or the faculty which enables animals to find their way to a place over ground which they had not previously traversed. A gentleman of Suffolk, on an excursion with his friend, was attended by a Newfoundland dog, which soon became the subject of conversation. The master, after a warm eulogium upon the perfections of his canine favourite, assured his companion that he would, upon receiving the order, return and fetch any article he should leave behind, from any distance. To confirm this assertion, a marked shilling was put under a large square stone by the side of the road, being first shown to the dog. The gentleman then rode for three miles, when the dog received his signal from the master to return for the shilling he had seen put under the stone. The dog turned back. The gentlemen rode on, and reached home. But to their surprise and disappointment the hitherto faithful messenger did not return during the day. It afterwards appeared that he had gone to the place where the shilling was deposited, but the stone being too large for his strength to remove, he had stayed howling at the place till two horsemen riding by, and attracted by his seeming distress, stopped to look at him, when one of them alighting removed the stone and seeing the shilling, put it into his pocket, not at the time conceiving it to be the object of the dog's search. The dog followed their horses for twenty miles, remained undisturbed in the room where they supped, followed the chambermaid into the bedchamber, and secreted himself under one of the beds. The possessor of the shilling hung his trousers upon a nail by the bedside, but when the travellers were both asleep, the dog took them in his mouth and leaping out of the window which was left open on account of the sultry heat reached the house of his master at four o'clock in the morning with the prize he had made free with in the pocket of which were found a watch and money that were returned upon being advertised when the whole mystery was mutually unravelled to the admiration of all parties footnote a similar instance of canine intelligence will be found in page fifty-one of the present volume. End footnote. Many years ago I saw a horse belonging to a quartermaster in the first dragoon guards, when the regiment was quartered at Ipswich, find a shilling which was covered with sawdust in the riding school at the cavalry barracks at that place, and give it to his owner. I thought this a wonderful instance of sagacity as well as docility, but how very far does this fall short of the intellectual faculty of dogs i do not intend to assert that they are endowed with mental powers equal to those which the human race possess but to contend that there is not a faculty of the human mind of which some evident proofs of its existence may not be found in dogs thus we find them possessed of memory imagination the powers of imitation curiosity cunning revenge ingenuity gratitude devotion or affection and other qualities they are able to communicate their wants their pleasures and their pains their apprehensions of danger and their prospects of future good by modulating their voices accordingly and by significant gestures they perfectly comprehend our wishes and live with us as friends and companions When the fear of man and dread of him were inflicted as a curse on the animal creation, the dog kind alone seems an exception, and their sagacity and fidelity to the human race was an incalculable blessing bestowed upon them. These remarks are fully borne out in a very interesting article on the dog in the Quarterly Review of September 1843. A fine, handsome, and valuable black dog of the Newfoundland species belonging to Mr. Floyd's solicitor Holmfirth committed suicide by drowning itself in the river which flows at the back of its owner's habitation. For some days previous the animal seemed less animated than usual, but on this particular occasion he was noticed to throw himself into the water and endeavor to sink by preserving perfect stillness of the legs and feet. Being dragged out of the stream, the dog was tied up for a time, but had no sooner been released than he again hastened to the water and again tried to sink, and was again got out. This occurred many times, until at length the animal with repeated efforts appeared to get exhausted, and by dint of keeping his head determinedly under water for a few minutes, "'succeeded at last in obtaining his object, "'for when taken out this time he was indeed dead. "'The case is worth recording as affording another proof "'of the general instinct and sagacity of the canine race. "'Mr. Nicholl, late of Paul Mall, "'told me he saw an old foxhound deliberately drown itself "'and was ready to make oath of it. "'Mrs. K., residing opposite Windsor Park Wall, Datchet, had a beautiful Newfoundland dog. For the convenience of the family a boat was kept that they might at times cross the water without the inconvenience of going a considerable way round to Datchet Ridge. The dog was so delighted with the aquatic trips that he very rarely permitted the boat to go without him. It happened that the coachman, who had been but little accustomed to the depths and shallows of the water, intending a forcible push with the punt-pole, which was not long enough to reach the bottom, fell over the side of the boat in the deepest part of the water, and in the central part of the current, which accident was observed by a part of the family then at the front windows of the house. Sudden and dreadful as the alarm was, they had the consolation of seeing the sagacious animal instantaneously follow his companion, when after diving and making two or three abortive attempts, by laying hold of different parts of his apparel which as repeatedly gave way or overpowered his exertions, he then, with the most determined and energetic fortitude, seized him by the arm, and brought him to the edge of the bank, where the domestics of the terrified family were ready to assist in extricating him from his perilous situation. FOOTNOTE THE SPORTSMAN'S CABINET END FOOTNOTE i have mentioned that revenge had been shown by dogs and the following is an instance of it a gentleman was staying at worthing where his newfoundland dog was teased and annoyed by a small cur which snapped and barked at him this he bore without appearing to notice it for some time but at last the newfoundland dog seemed to lose his usual patience and forbearance and he one day in the presence of several spectators took the cur up by his back, swam with it into the sea, held it under the water, and would probably have drowned it had not a boat been put off and rescued it. There was another instance communicated to me. A fine Newfoundland dog had been constantly annoyed by a small spaniel. The former, seizing the opportunity when they were on a terrace under which a river flowed, took up the spaniel in his mouth and dropped it over the parapet into the river. JUKES, IN HIS EXCURSIONS IN AND ABOUT NEWFOUNDLAND, SAYS, A thin, short-haired black dog belonging to George Harvey came off to us to-day. This animal was of a breed very different from what we understand by the term Newfoundland dog in England. He had a thin, tapering snout, a long, thin tail, and rather thin but powerful legs, with a lank body, the hair short and smooth these are the most abundant dogs of the country the long-haired curly dogs being comparatively rare they are by no means handsome but are generally more intelligent and useful than the others this one caught his own fish he sat on a projecting rock beneath a fish lake or stage where the fish are laid to dry watching the water which had a depth of six or eight feet the bottom of which was white with fish bones on throwing a piece of codfish into the water, three or four heavy, clumsy-looking fish called in Newfoundland sculpins, with great heads and mouths, and many spines about them, and generally about a foot long, would swim in to catch it. These he would set attentively, and the moment one turned his broadside to him, he darted down like a fish-hawk, and seldom came up without the fish in his mouth. As he caught them, he carried them regularly to a place a few yards off where he laid them down, and they told us that in the summer he would sometimes make a pile of fifty or sixty a day just at that place. He never attempted to eat them, but seemed to be fishing purely for his own amusement. I watched him for about two hours, and when the fish did not come I observed he once or twice put his right foot in the water and paddled it about. This foot was white, and Harvey said he did it to toll or entice the fish, but whether it was for that specific reason or a motion emotion of impatience, I could not exactly decide. Extraordinary as the following anecdote may appear to some persons, it is strictly true, and strongly shows the sense, and I am almost inclined to add, reason of the Newfoundland dog. A friend of mine, while shooting wild fowl with his brother, was attended by a sagacious dog of this breed, In getting near some reeds by the side of a river they threw down their hats and crept to the edge of the water when they fired at some birds. They soon afterwards sent the dog to bring their hats, one of which was smaller than the other. After several attempts to bring them both together in his mouth the dog at last placed the smaller hat in the larger one pressed it down with his foot, and thus was able to bring them both at the same time. A gentleman residing in Fifeshire and not far from the city of St. Andrews, was in possession of a very fine Newfoundland dog, which was remarkable alike for its tractability and its trustworthiness. At two other points, each distant about a mile, and at the same distance from this gentleman's mansion, There were two dogs of great power but of less tractable breeds than the Newfoundland one. One of these was a large mastiff, kept as a watchdog by a farmer, and the other a stanch bulldog that kept guard over the parish mill. As each of these three was lord ascendant of all animals at his master's residence, they all had a good deal of aristocratic pride and pugnacity so that two of them seldom met without attempting to settle their respective dignities by a wager of battle the newfoundland dog was of some service in the domestic arrangements besides his guardianship of the house for every forenoon he was sent to the baker's shop in the village about half a mile distant with a towel containing money in the corner and he returned with the value of the money in bread there were many useless and not over-civil curs in the village as there are in too many villages throughout the country but generally the haughty newfoundland treated this ignoble race in that contemptuous style in which great dogs are wont to treat little ones when the dog returned from the baker's shop he used to be regularly served with his dinner and went peaceably on house duty for the rest of the day one day however He returned with his coat dirtied and his ears scratched, having been subjected to a combined attack of the curs while he had charge of his towel and bread, and so could not defend himself. Instead of waiting for his dinner as usual, he laid down his charge somewhat sulkily and marched off. And upon looking after him, it was observed that he was crossing the intervening hollow in a straight line for the house of the farmer or rather on an embassy to the farmer's mastiff the farmer's people noticed this unusual visit which they were induced to do from its being a meeting of peace between those who had habitually been belligerents after some intercourse of which no interpretation could be given the two set off together in the direction of the mill and having arrived there they in brief space engaged the miller's bulldog as an ally The straight road to the village where the indignity had been offered to the Newfoundland dog passed immediately in front of his master's house, but there was a more private and more circuitous road by the back of the mill. The three took this road, reached the village, scoured it in great wrath, putting to the tooth every cur they could get sight of, and having taken their revenge and washed themselves in a ditch, they returned each dog to the abode of his master. And when any two of them happened to meet afterwards, they displayed the same pugnacity as they had done previous to this joint expedition. There is a well-authenticated anecdote of two dogs at Donacadie, in which the instinctive daring of the one by the other caused a friendship, and, as it should seem, a kind of lamentation for the dead after one of them had paid the debt of nature. THIS HAPPENED WHILE THE GOVERNMENT HARBOR OR PIER FOR THE PACKETS AT WAS IN THE COURSE OF BUILDING, AND IT TOOK PLACE IN THE SIGHT OF SEVERAL WITNESSES. THE ONE DOG IN THIS CASE WAS ALSO A NEWFOUNDLAND, AND THE OTHER WAS A Mastiff. THEY WERE BOTH POWERFUL DOGS, AND THOUGH EACH WAS GOOD-NATURED WHEN ALONE, THEY WERE VERY MUCH IN THE HABIT OF FIGHTING WHEN THEY MET. ONE DAY THEY HAD A FIERCE AND PROLONGED BATTLE ON THE PIER, from the point of which they both fell into the sea, and as the pier was long and steep, they had no means of escape but by swimming a considerable distance. Throwing water upon fighting dogs is an approved means of putting an end to their hostilities, and it is natural to suppose that two combatants of the same species tumbling themselves into the sea would have the same effect. It had, and each began to make for the land as best he could the Newfoundland being an excellent swimmer, very speedily gained the pier, on which he stood shaking himself. But at the same time watching the motions of his late antagonist, which being no swimmer was struggling exhausted in the water, and just about to sink, in dashed the Newfoundland dog, took the other gently by the collar, kept his head above water, and brought him safely on shore. There was a peculiar kind of recognition between the two animals. They never fought again. They were always together, and when the Newfoundland dog had been accidentally killed by the passage of a stone wagon on the railway over him, the other languished and evidently lamented for a long time. A gentleman had a pointer and Newfoundland dog which were great friends. The former broke his leg and was confined to a kennel. During that time the Newfoundland never failed bringing bones and other food to the pointer, and would sit for hours together by the side of his suffering friend. During a period of very hot weather, the mayor of Plymouth gave orders that all dogs found wandering in the public streets should be secured by the police, and removed to the prison-yard. Among them was a Newfoundland dog belonging to a ship-owner of the port, who, with several others, was tied up in the yard. The Newfoundland soon gnawed the rope which confined him, and then, hearing the cries of his companions to be released, he set to work to gnaw the ropes which confined them, and had succeeded in three or four instances when he was interrupted by the entrance of the jailer. A nearly similar case has frequently occurred in the Cumberland Gardens, Windsor Great Park. Two dogs of the Newfoundland breed were confined in kennels at that place. When one of them was let loose, he has been frequently seen to set his companion free. A boatman once plunged into the water to swim with another man for a wager. His Newfoundland dog, mistaking the purpose, and supposing that his master was in danger, plunged after him, and dragged him to the shore by his hair to the great diversion of the spectators. Mr. Peter MacArthur informs me that in the year 1821, when opposite to Falmouth, he was at breakfast with a gentleman, when a large Newfoundland dog, all dripping with water, entered the room and laid a newspaper on the table. The gentleman, who was one of the Society of Friends, informed the party that this dog swam regularly across the ferry every morning and went to the post-office and fetched the papers of the day mr blaine in his encyclopedia of rural sports tells the following story a newfoundland dog of the small smooth-haired variety in coming to england from his native country was washed overboard during a tempestuous night as daylight appeared the gale ceased when a sailor at the masthead descried something far in the wake of the vessel which by the help of his glass he was led to believe was the dog which was so great a favorite with the crew that it was unanimously requested of the captain of the vessel to lie to and wait for the chance of saving the poor brute. The captain, who had probably lost some time already by the storm, peremptorily refused to listen to the humane proposal. Whether it was the kindly feeling of the sailors or the superstitious dread that if the dog were suffered to perish nothing would afterwards prosper with them, we are not informed, but we do know that as soon as a refusal was made the steersman left the helm roundly asserting that he for one would never lend a hand to steer away from either christian or brute in distress the feeling was immediately caught by the rest of the crew and maintained so resolutely that the captain was forced to accede to the general wish and the poor dog eventually reached the ship in safety after having been as we were informed and implicitly believe, some hours in a tempestuous sea. Bewick mentions an instance which shows the extraordinary sagacity of these dogs. In a severe storm a ship was lost off Yarmouth, and no living creature escaped except a Newfoundland dog, which swam to the shore with a captain's pocket-book in his mouth. Several of the bystanders attempted to take it from him, but he would not part with it. At length, selecting one person from the crowd whose appearance probably pleased him, he leaped against his breast in a fawning manner and delivered the book to his care. End of Chapter 7 Recording by M. J. Frank, Portland, Oregon